0: One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet.
1: Well, good morning, Fraud Talkers. Welcome, welcome. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Network platform. We are every week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard, 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can listen to us live or you can listen to us at your leisure uh, to the audio file on the Voice America uh, web page. You can also find us on various uh, social media, Twitter. Uh, you can find me at, at Fraud Talk and we like to use the, the hashtag Fraud Talk. You can also find uh, find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as well as uh, my blog Fraud Talk which is hosted on Blogspot. Uh, not hard to find. So the call in line number today for Fraud Talk uh, is 866 472 5790. That's 866-472-5790. Six, four, seven, two, if you would like to join our discussion today, uh, you can also submit a question by email or contact me directly at chris at International.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international, all one word, dot com. And I'm happy to take your comments, uh, criticisms, and suggestions, as well as uh, if you've got a fraud of the week you'd like to send to me please email it. Uh, For those of you who are new to the program, I'm an international corporate investigator and have been doing this for over 30 years. Uh, Investigated um, too many cases to count, uh, but started my own firm about eight years ago, Marquet International, which is based here in the Northeast U.S., uh, providing litigation support, investigations, and security consulting to clients around the globe. Uh, We developed our fraud SWAT team, which basically consists of Forensic accountants and computer forensics experts, and traditional corporate investigators and other experts, as needed to respond to fraud situations around the country and indeed the globe. Uh, we can also help. Uh, we also help clients uh, actually uh, find counsel because that's usually the first thing you need is corporate counsel uh, that to help advise you in 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 a variety of of manner. In any event, uh, I published the Marquet Report on embezzlement uh, every year, and also I was the um, author of the Marquet Report on Ponzi Schemes, which I published in June of 2011, and as well as many other papers on fraud and investigations and risk mi- mitigation generically. This week, uh, we have a great show with a very knowledgeable guest on the topic of white-collar fraud, particularly uh, Ponzi schemes. Uh, her name is Kathy Bazoyan Phelps. And she is a California-based attorney, also the author of two books, The Ponzi Book, A Legal Reference uh, for Unraveling Ponzi Schemes, as well as Ponzi Proof Your Investments. Uh, Kathy counsels clients, including trustees and receivers and debtors and secured and unsecured creditors and bankruptcy cases, and uh, many of these uh, due to uh, this type of white, uh, white-collar fraud. Um, but before we get to Kathy... Uh, We can't forget uh, our fraud talk mantra, which is at any time in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And uh, we know that fraud is persistent threat and claiming victims as we speak. We're here to try to tamp it down and minimize it, uh, squelch it through education and knowledge and uh, proactive uh, actions. Um, And just to give you an idea, we do this every week by the way, we cataloged some this past week, we cataloged Uh, some 28 major embezzlement cases in the news in the United States with more than $15 million in losses to organizations and individuals. Uh, And these are cases uh, involving more than $100,000 in embezzlement, uh, which, again, you know, tip of the iceberg kind of a thing here. Um, This stuff happens all the time, every single day, uh, and it's just devastating. (coughs) Um, But speaking of... um, you know the other thing we do every week, which is the fraud of the week. Uh, this one, I'm just—I'm going to run through this quickly because I want to get to Kathy here. <clears throat> This week's fraud of the week uh, was brought to us by John out of Virginia, and involves a man who embezzled more than 3.3 million dollars from a local wood product wholesaler, uh, where he had been employed as a branch manager. And <clears throat> authorities, I'll just read some of this. Authorities charged 50-year-old Warrenton man, that's in Virginia, uh, with conducting the largest embezzlement in Farquhar County, uh, and that's in Virginia. And in, in, in the entire county's history. His name is Robin Day Nichols, a 50-year-old fellow. Uh, $3.3 million he stole from Heritage Hardwoods. And uh, he was a branch manager where he served for, uh, I don't know, 15 years since 1999. And... <clears throat> um, the embezzlement allegedly took place over a 13-year period. He now faces 28 counts of embezzlement, uh, 15 counts of obtaining money by false pretenses, 15 counts of money laundering, uh, two counts of making false statements of Virginia tax returns. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et so basically, what this fellow did was he set up a dummy company, uh, which and created false invoices that uh, you know and fraudulently invoiced the company over a period of time. Essentially, inflating the the, the inventory uh, levels at the company, and over a period of, over that period of time, invoiced about three point eight million dollars worth, uh, of which half a million dollars uh, actually was was real. Uh, so this guy again. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the, the reason it's the case of the week is, you know, just the magnitude of it and the period of time, uh, which uh, is interesting, uh, but we have, you know, a fairly typical um uh, scheme involving, uh, fraudulent billing and, and uh, using a dummy company. Uh, and some people who have a position of authority in finance or management that can, can literally set up a vendor, in this case, a phony vendor and approve it and then have the checks cut, uh, are you know ripe for the picking so this guy uh, lived a double life uh which was basically a a lavish lifestyle he was a race car aficionado uh he was you know racing up in watkins glen with his race car that he bought with the ill-gotten gains he also had a quarter million dollar rv uh, extensive luxury travel and he spent uh, uh, all kinds of money on lingerie and plastic surgery for his second wife and all kinds of other are, um, ridiculous things um, and apparently he did a pretty good job for at least for a while of hiding it from from the folks he knew uh, but again i think this is fairly typical uh individual lives a a, a life uh, larger than than riley and uh and gets away with her for a period of time but um as we know, in a lot of these cases, and particularly in Ponzi schemes, we're about to talk about, they, the cases come crashing down inevitably. Um, so that brings me to Kathy Phelps, uh, who I'd like to introduce. Um, Kathy, welcome. Thank you. So let me, Kathy. Uh, Kathy's partner at Diamond Diamond McCarthy. Uh, she's an undergraduate degree from Pomona College, and her law degree from UCLA School of Law. Um, and let me just tell a little bit more about Kathy's background. Uh, She's been practicing law in the area of bankruptcy and fraud litigation since 1991, Uh, represents uh, bankruptcy trustees, receivers, defendants, investors, and has been lead counsel in large-scale litigation involving recovery of assets in Ponzi scheme cases. She also has extensive litigation experience in a variety of bankruptcy litigation matters, and she has lectured widely and written on bankruptcy and receivership matters with a focus on Ponzi schemes. Her book, entitled The Ponzi Book, a legal resource for unraveling Ponzi schemes, which she co-authored with the Honorable Stephen Rhodes, has garnered national and international attention as the authoritative work on Ponzi scheme law. Kathy has also recently published uh the ponzi proof your investments an investor's guide to avoiding ponzi schemes and other fraudulent scams which by the way I'm holding in my hot little hand <clears throat> um she also is the author of the ponzi scheme blog which is um um the ponzi scheme blog written out dot com and also i think hosted on blogger if uh, if i'm correct is that right Kathy yes yes correct Great. So first and foremost, Kathy, you are a bankruptcy attorney and have been and continue to be one. But uh, tell us how you got into the world of Ponzi schemes and investment frauds.
2: Well, sadly, uh, you know, as you noted, fraud is very pervasive. Um, and, you know, as we sit here, somebody is doing something wrong. And in the bankruptcy space, well, of course, not all bankruptcies involve fraud. Um, a number of them do. And as I started out as a young bankruptcy lawyer, uh, what I found was uh, fraud was working its way into many of my cases, and and over time, um, I, I, I developed a bit of an expertise in dealing with the issues and had a little bit of, of uh, an investigator hat that I would put on, which of course is what you do, and, and with time, as you start reviewing documents, you start listening to the stories, you start looking for clues. Uh, you, you, you begin to put these stories together, and as I grew as a lawyer, the size of the cases grew, and uh, I, I soon enough found myself in some very large uh, fraud cases, many of which were Ponzi schemes.
1: So, uh, so what, what were, were some of the common themes that you you saw in the in the bankruptcy frauds?
2: Well, um, you know, something uh, has either gone wrong in what was otherwise a legitimate business and the owner is then trying to make up for it and, and starts to make up stories and reasons to, to lure money in in order to make up the past problem. And, of course, that then creates an even larger hole that needs to be filled, and Ponzi scheme-type uh, activity begins to occur. A Ponzi scheme, of course, is a, a fraud scheme where promises are made to investors who put money into the program Uh, for higher returns, consistent returns, that type of a thing. But rather than money being generated from any type of legitimate business activity in order to pay those returns, there is no legitimate business activity, so new money is lured in from new investors. And so the problem snowballs and it grows and they can never catch up. Of course, there are other types of cases where the the matter was a fraud from the get-go. There wasn't some business problem that created the hole, but they just decided to run a fraud. Uh, they, they saw uh, had a plan. <laughs> Here's how I can make money and steal from people. I can probably get away with this from a long time. Prison sentences aren't too tough. Gee, maybe it's worth it. And so you see that kind of activity as well.
1: Right, right, and we're gonna get into all of that. Uh, uh, we're gonna to have to take a break here, but one other thing that happens is the the you know the fraud, I'm sure you run into this, Kathy, and we can talk about it is how the the business owner who've got himself in, in trouble, um, this is separate and apart from from uh, an investment fraud situation in, in in a bankruptcy case where somebody is uh, you know looks looks to be in trouble, they might look to shield some of their assets and and hide the money. In inventory and that sort of thing, correct?
2: Oh, sure. All the time. I mean, you <laughs> often see money going overseas or into other businesses or into real estate. Absolutely.
1: Right. All right. Well, we'll we're going to continue with that when we come back. We're going to take a break now, and we'll, we'll talk to you all soon.
0: Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International Professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with Corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at international.com That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk.
1: Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest uh, this morning is Kathy Phelps. She is a Litigation attorney at Diamond McCarthy in Los Angeles, and uh, an expert in uh, both bankruptcy litigation as well as Ponzi schemes. She has written two books uh, on the topic, as well as hosts a a blog called the Ponzi Scheme Blog, um, which uh, discusses and is updated uh, regularly about uh, all about Ponzi schemes. Uh, Kathy, welcome back. Thank you. So tell us generically how you help your clients in these matters. I think you and I were talking offline about how you know you advise clients on how to avoid situations. You advise clients on you know that are victims you know what what kinds of recourses they might have and recovery as well as you advise clients you get the interesting category of clients who are, are the subject of clawbacks. Um, tell us about how you help your clients.
2: Well, yeah, of course, it depends on who the client is. Um, if 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 we're on the investor side, uh, investors get wrapped up in Ponzi schemes in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, to the extent you can help them investing in the first place, obviously that's, that's real good advice that you can give to anybody, not even necessarily a client. And I am out speaking and writing on that topic. It is near and dear to my heart uh, because it is such a shame to watch people lose their life savings. Um, of course, investors who have gotten involved in a Ponzi scheme often get paid money back. I mean, that's part of how Ponzi schemes work. Uh, they haven't done anything wrong. They're just getting the returns that were promised to them, but the uh the fraudster ends up in some type of an insolvency proceeding, whether a bankruptcy or a receivership, and uh some uh trustee or a receiver gets appointed, and that trustee or receiver's job, of course, is to gather up as much money as possible in order to pay returns to all of the investors on a pro rata basis. Well, sometimes uh the people that I represent get sued for the money that they got back. Some of them never even got back their principal. We call them net losers. Some of them got back their principal and they got back fictitious profits. Those are net winners and so um, there are all kinds of legal issues that get wrapped get wrapped up in that, and I will represent them. I also do represent a lot of trustees and receivers uh those those are the fiduciaries that are appointed in order to administer and insolvency proceeding and those can become very tricky issues you know those trustees and receivers often have to bring those fraudulent transfer we call them clawback lawsuits in the press a lot but they're technically called fraudulent transfer lawsuits they also will look to other potential culpable parties uh... who may have been somehow involved sometimes it's the lawyers sometimes the auditors Sometimes the financial institutions or the brokers who are all doing work for the Ponzi scheme perpetrator, those may be targets of litigation as well. I often will. I I can represent those as well in defending them against action. So uh, my my client base uh, can be a wide variety of people, so the, the types of services definitely depend on who the client is.
1: So those other those other uh, conspirators, if you will, being like the feeder funds in the Madoff case, for example, that were funneling money into Madoff, uh, who ended up being in serious litigation trouble later on.
2: Right, and the question there is were they were they merely negligent? They didn't do enough investigation or did they have actual knowledge or did they were they on enough notice? Did they see enough red flags that they should have known that there was a problem? And those are the types of issues that come into play there.
1: Right, right. Tell us tell us Kathy about uh, maybe a, a one or two of your uh, favorite uh, recent interesting Cases that you've been you've seen or you've you've been involved in.
2: Well, you know, people ask me all the time, "What's a typical Ponzi scheme?" You know, what what, what should I be worried about? And and you know, writing the Ponzi scheme blog and, and canvassing all of the news on the subject, I, I quickly learned that there really is no typical Ponzi scheme. You know, sometimes we think of them in terms of Bernie Madoff. You know, you're trading securities or or options or bonds or some type of a financial scheme. Well, a couple of my favorite from the past uh, year or two. Have had are uh, entirely unexpected. There was one out of India um, last year, perhaps the uh, the year before, and it involved emus, the animal emus. And and this scheme, uh, people were invited to invest in this program uh, so that they could double their money in two years. And all they had to do was purchase a, a baby emu chick and then pay to raise that emu chick for two years. The concept was, uh, emu meat and oil was a delicacy in New Zealand. Well, nobody really ever bothered to check how how much people would pay in New Zealand or anywhere for emu meat and oil, uh, and it really wasn't a profitable venture. And so, ten thousand investors invested in this scheme, and they lost about a total of fifty million dollars. And what happened at the end of the day was, since all of the money had been stolen by the stolen by the perpetrators, there were like a hundred thousand emus wandering the streets of some Indian village that that were not cared for. Um, so that wow. you know, that was surprising. Another one that 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 also I, I found quite amusing. Uh, another animal scheme. Uh, it was a goat scheme where if you you were promised guaranteed two percent monthly returns and the doubling of your money every three to four years if you just purchased one goat, and that goat was going to be reared by the Ponzi scheme perpetrator. But each goat every year gives birth to three to four kids, and those go- new goats would be sold to other investors, which would give this you know fourfold appreciation just even in the first year. So all kinds of money poured into a scheme like that, and I of course always. Ask people that I tell that story to what what would be what would be your first due diligence question if invited to invest in the scheme? What do you think, Chris? What would be the question you would ask?
1: Well, I guess I would ask uh you know you know <laughs> how, what are these goats for, and why would anyone want one?
2: okay okay my question of course would be am i buying a boy goat or a girl goat that's going to give me these
1: kids oh that's a, that's a better question yes <laughs> <laughs> the female goat will will produce the male goat uh <laughs> well, maybe get some goat
2: here not going to give me my four kids so, right. maybe, I, you, maybe they get question, some stud but...
1: fees out of that or something like that uh, but they do have kids literally don't they They do. That's what they call them. uh, What amazes me, uh, Kathy, in these kinds of these cases is uh, one, uh, uh, as you just pointed out, the the depth and breadth of the quote unquote instrument, uh, the instrument that's being used to entice investors to put their money into. Uh, in this case, in those cases, goats and emus. Uh, but in many other cases, other types of instruments that, you know, the, the classic prime bank note, for example, uh, and, and, you know, going way back. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing is just the, you know, the promised rate of return. Uh, when we did our analysis, uh, we uh, we looked at uh, I forget how many cases total, but uh, quite a few, several hundred uh, Ponzi schemes over about a nine ten year period. The average promised return was thirty eight percent. You know, yeah, some of them were hugely fast returns. Others were a little bit smarter and 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 uh, you know less extreme. <laughs> but it amazes me that you have. These incredibly high returns that people, time and again, uh, get enticed into, uh, you know, into buying into. You know, why is that? Or maybe you can comment on that.
2: Well, the the promised benefit, of course, is is the number one thing that people are looking to when they invest. What am I going to get out of this? And so the perpetrator wants to make it sound good and lure them in so they have to promise something that lures in the investor and now it's interesting because you're right these days you would think that anyone who's promising 100% returns in a week any investor's going to go really you know how are you doing that that's just so so out of sight of course that has to be a fraud i mean there are occasionally still some like that and it is amazing that that people have the gall to add, to promise those returns and that other people actually believe it but what i'm actually noticing it's a little bit of almost Darwinian behavior on the part of the perpetrators. They seem to be figuring out that, okay, it, it's got to be good, but it can't be so good that people don't believe it. And so what I see is them is them sort of recasting the way that they promise those returns. For example, um, I will guarantee you, and guarantee is a big thing, 2% returns per month. Well, 2% is a small number. It doesn't sound that big. But 2% but per, per month... month is 24% per year. And a lot of people don't quite extrapolate and think about it that way and think, well, 24% per year, is that reasonable? Well, is anything legitimate, paying 24% per year? Not so much. 2% per month, well, it's 2%. Of course, something could pay 2%. And so um, I, I see a little bit of that kind of conduct. And of course, the other promise that is made um and this just plays right into the psychology of the investor is it's risk free it's guaranteed your principal is safe um because there is just this risk aversion and loss aversion that people feel they're like okay i will part with my money as long as you tell me i at least i won't lose my principal i may not make as much as i'm hoping to make but i won't lose my principal and so the perpetrator really plays into that psychology as well
1: so on that point Kathy I mean how does the per Ponzi perp make the guarantee I mean literally how do they make the guarantee and how do how do they make that sale and essentially there's they're, they're selling the uh, the the investor about to be defrauded on the fact that okay we're going to we're going to we're going to give you 2% a month uh, and that's guaranteed you're not going to lose your principal blah 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 how do they do that
2: well, it, it is my my biggest um, message that I want to get out to people is that people invest based on trust, and 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 oftentimes the fact that the perpetrator tells them that their money is safe is enough for them, and they don't do any due diligence at all, and they don't ask any questions at all. You know, it was interesting. There was um, there is a, a psychologist and an author who wrote a book on gullibility. Why do people believe things that, that they hear? And his book is called Annals of Gullibility. Stephen Greenspan is his name. And it was so interesting to read him because he's like, you know, I wrote this whole multi-dimensional theory that explains why people behave in a manner which, ex- manner which exposes them to severe and unpredictable risk. So he studied this stuff to death. And sure enough, after Madoff, he writes a little article that says, oh my God, I lost my retirement <laughs> savings in Madoff. This is a guy who studies sellability. <laughs> oh,
1: and it was wow. really
2: interesting. There was a quote in this article that I just thought was so perfect. He said, In my own case, the decision to invest reflected both my profound ignorance of finance and my somewhat lazy unwillingness to remedy that ignorance, which to me just hit it exactly on the head. People are lazy. They're uninterested in figuring it out. They don't ask any questions, and they just believe what they're told. So you tell them that it's risk-free and it's guaranteed, and they say, great, that makes me feel pretty good. Okay, here's my money.
1: Wow. Well, we're going we're gonna to take another break. Uh, we'll come back. We're going to continue this discussion uh, with Kathy Phelps. Uh, thank you, Kathy. We'll be right back. Okay.
0: Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International Professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting when circumstances require sensitive and Professional fact finding, turn to Marque International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit marquetinternational.com International.com or call 617 733 3304. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors, you need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel.
2: in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
0: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at International.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk.
1: Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet and my guest today Kathy Phelps who is an expert on Ponzi schemes we've been discussing uh all about Ponzi schemes, and uh, <clears throat> what I, I'd like to talk with Kathy a bit about. Are a couple of things. One, I want to talk about uh, the Ponzi perp, and uh, what's you know what makes up this 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 particular beast. Uh, and also, we want to talk about um, how to avoid uh, Ponzi schemes and doing your own due diligence. Uh, but we can get to that. Let's, Kathy. Welcome back. By the way, thank you. Uh, you have two books, uh, Ponzi Proof Your Investments, An Investor's Guide to Avoiding Ponzi Schemes and Other Fraudulent Scams, and the, also the uh, Ponzi book, Legal Resource for Unraveling Ponzi Schemes, uh, which is a legal uh, compendium. Uh, how, so first, first of all, how do we get these books?
2: Uh, Well, the Ponzi book, the legal resource, um, you can go to um, the website, theponzibook.com, which will actually uh, give a lot of information about the book. And there um, you can click on a link, which will take you directly to the publisher's website, LexisNexis, in order to purchase Mm. it, either the hard copy or um, an electronic version. And and it's actually available on Amazon as well. And ponziproof.com. Uh, the investors' guide is available uh, both on Amazon and uh, directly from PonziProof.com. Great,
1: great. Yeah, it's nice to be on uh, LexisNexis, right?
2: Um, oh yeah, and they've been—they've just been a wonderful publisher, very supportive of the whole project.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, <clears throat> in in uh, in the in the investors' guide to avoiding Ponzi schemes. And other frauds, we talk, you talk about, well, we go, you go through a whole series of items on, on, on the due diligence process and, and being skeptical. And I want to go into that, but, but what interests me is these characters, why don't you describe for us what a typical Ponzi perp is, is, and um, w- w- what's in their head? I mean, uh, first of all, to describe, describe some of their characteristics, okay. if you will.
2: If we all only knew what was in their head, um, there you know there really are some characteristics that that cross over uh, among almost all of them. Number one, they they're very intelligent. These are not stupid people. These are very intelligent people. They often have uh, a background in finance, but they do tend to be overconfident. They also tend to be very likable people, um, and they have to be because you, you, you people are, are entrusting their life savings, and so they have to trust the person that they're giving that money to. They tend to be you know, outward and social. Uh, They also tend to be somewhat egotistical. Um, They're risk-takers and rule-breakers. They do have very charismatic personalities. They're very persuasive. They're very successful at a closing pitch. And they tend to be big spenders, as you mentioned earlier. You know, time and time again you see the stories of these Ponzi schemes, and they have just taken that money from their friends and their family, and they have invested it, or not invested, they've spent it on lavish parties and yachts and jewelries and mansions. Uh, they don't have any any problem with that at all. I saw a, a quote from Groucho Marx, and it said, the secret of life is honesty and fair dealing. If you can fake that, you've got it made. And I just, <laughs> I think that's what's in their head. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I see these folks, and by the way, many of them are, are, most of them, at least my analysis showed, most of the cases I looked at, I, I don't know, it was 90% were men. Uh, although, you know, there are female Ponzi schemers, so don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but they are often men, uh, and um, they uh, we know that the, the, the term con man, the con stands for confidence. This gets back to your point. You have to. The investor has to have confidence in this individual. They have to have the trust uh, in the individual, uh, in the in the schemer, uh, in order to hand over their you know their hard earned their hard earned life savings. Uh, so, so so that's a, a critical aspect of the whole of the whole scheme. Correct.
2: Well, it is, and I'll tell you that that some of the characteristics that we see over and over again in these Ponzi schemes uh, play into that whole notion. Um, what they do. The perpetrator does is they, they tend to target the people who will trust them and, and so these things often spin in affinity groups. Uh, they're affinity right. schemes, they call them, and, and, and this is where you have the, a, a group of investors or victims who um, they share common characteristics. They're a closely connected group of individuals and so you see a lot of Ponzi schemes run through church groups or uh, other religious organizations, or the elderly or retired uh, that know each other uh, through those types of groups, ethnic groups, uh, a, a group of immigrants that might have come in together, family, uh, friend groups, alumni associations, community groups, that, that type of a thing. And the reason that th- that works for the perpetrator is that people trust their affinity group. You know, there's, are, there's already
1: that built-in uh, trust factor, and in fact, when you think about the the the, the frequent you know religious groups uh, or ethnic groups, religious groups in particular, where you have you know you know <clears throat> have the you know the, one of the main tenets is you know trust and love etc. <laughs> you know you have you just have this automatic trust factor that that's got to be very uh, uh, alluring.
2: Well, and it's particularly disheartening when it's not—it's not just a church member who's running the scheme, but it's the pastor of the church, and, and yes. it is unbelievable to me how often we see that as well. Um, you know, another another thing, another reason that people invest and that they trust is because the the, the perpetrator spends a lot of time choreographing a scene uh, that that surrounds himself or herself with credibility flags. So they go out and they hire the big national law firm or the big national auditor to prepare supposed audited financial statements, all the while lying to those professionals. Um, so people say, oh, well, look, that's who they've hired, and they're using you know this big international bank, so this all has to be legitimate because those professionals wouldn't be involved if I weren't involved. We also see them, uh, the perpetrator, Making large charitable contributions over and over again, look how well I'm doing, look what a good person I am, I'm going to donate a million dollars to the Boys and Girls Club of whatever, I'm such a good person. Well, those types of uh, behaviors instill trust in them, and so people say, well, look, he's doing well, he's a good guy, here, take my money and, and make some more money for me.
1: Yeah, I did. I noticed the same thing that you had these folks. um, They become philanthropists. uh, They, you know, they're loved in their communities. They're, you know, larger than life uh, individuals. And yeah, sure, they live a lavish lifestyle. But hey, you know, they're making money hand over fist and everybody's winning. Win, win, win. (laughs) (laughs) Winning. (laughs) uh, That uh, it's all hunky-dory and and wonderful. I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, this... The psychology that these guys uh, and sometimes gals uh, have you know where you know they're going around and they're 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 they may be using sophisticated uh, uh, fraudulent instruments uh they're pushing the hard sell on, you know, families, friends, and affinity groups. They are using all kinds of trickery and phony accounting and lying to, as you said, in some cases, very sophisticated uh, professional organizations and getting away with it for periods of time. Um, I I, I mean, it it seemed to me that a lot of these folks, they they just um, believe that whatever, what they're doing isn't wrong. That they're somehow entitled to these, these uh, this this lavish lifestyle and these extraordinary uh, you know uh, monies that they're that that are coming in that they are that they can do no wrong. Uh, I mean, what what's your sense of of the of these people?
2: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I I've pondered that question a lot. I've talked to a lot of these perpetrators. You know, I'll I'll come in representing a trustee or or a receiver, and that first day you're in a case, you know, they're still there on the scene running the business, and you talk to them, and they're doe-eyed and innocent and, you know, intelligent and let me help you. I just, you know, made some bad business decisions. And, and they're quite believable and they're quite likable. I mean, almost across the board. And so I spent a lot of time pondering that issue. And I actually read a few years ago a book. It's called Snakes in Suits. And it's written by um, a couple of PhDs who study psychopaths. And not psychopaths in the Ted Bundy serial killer sort of a way, but psychopaths mm. who, who infiltrate the corporate rule, world and how they can just torpedo uh, the relationships and maybe even a business and do it in the nicest way, in the most believable way. Um, and, And I'm not saying that all Ponzi scheme perpetrators are psychopaths, but there is a personality disorder out there that enables people to be quite believable, quite charismatic, quite persuasive, and do a whole lot of harm. And when I read this book, Snakes in Suits, and I looked at the list of characteristics um, of the psychopaths, and I compare that to my list of psychological traits of Ponzi schemers. They were almost identical. I was startled actually, so you, you have to wonder whether the, the folks that are willing to steal a million dollars from their best friend and spend it to buy you know jewelry for their girlfriend whether those people are thinking clearly or whether they really do have some sort of personality disorder that would enable them to do that. So one has to wonder. I don't know that any kind of comprehensive study has been done on the subject, but, boy, I see a lot of similarities
1: yeah, I agree, I agree 100%. I have not seen a a comprehensive study on the subject, but it is a an area that that always interests me, you know, what the heck makes these people tick? But I but I agree. I mean, these folks tend to be, you know, very intelligent, very persuasive, very charming, very charismatic, um, you know, you know, putting the hard sell uh constantly on the move, living absolutely large, you know, I've got uh you know, girlfriends that they're spending, you know, lavishly upon you know and and traveling yachts and aircraft and uh, race cars and and (laughs) you name it i mean just living the 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 good life and not thinking twice about it right well we're going to take another break right now and we'll come back for our final segment in a couple of minutes thank you all we'll be right back
0: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you and your business well prepared for what you may ask? Well, what about workplace violence, cyber attacks, or general business disasters? Listen for Fear is Negotiable, Business Survival Skills 101, with your host, Pamela Hill. We'll bring you case studies of the businesses that don't prepare and the consequences that can happen. We'll also bring you best practice strategies that can help you keep your business running smoothly. Tune in to Fear is Negotiable, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International Professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit marquetinternational.com or call 617-733-3304.
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon
0: Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk.
1: Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest today is Kathy Phelps, and she is the Ponzi Scheme Expert Extraordinaire. Uh, Welcome back, uh, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs> uh we've been talking all about Ponzi schemes and uh we, a bit about the the characteristics of the the perpetrators uh uh and uh and how these things happen how these things come about let's talk- i'd like to talk a bit about you know how do you know as intelligent investors how do we how do we try to? How do we prevent these things from happening? I mean, frankly, um, you know, somebody comes up and offers you know two percent a month, as you described before, uh, and I don't look askance at it. Uh, I'm 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 the one that's nuts. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about some of the the preventive measures uh, as as you see them.
2: Well, sure. And this, of course, is the whole reason that I, I wrote uh, the Ponzi proof book because there there's there are things that can be done that actually don't cost all that much money or take all that much time that would really uh, raise eyebrows and cause investors perhaps to not invest. Um, You know, one of the biggest things is to figure out who, who the individuals are behind the program and to conduct a background check on them. And there's all kinds of background checks that can be done. But uh, I know, Chris, in your report uh, that I read, a wonderful report on Ponzi schemes, and certainly in my research, I see that time and time again, the folks that are running these schemes have either have a criminal record, or they have disciplinary action against them, or there is publicly available information that would cause one to question uh, their honesty.
1: Yeah, and let me so, let me yeah, let me just uh, expound on that. Particular point, uh, it's not just if whether or not somebody has a criminal record, because that happens and it happens occasionally. Um, but it's also the regulatory actions taken against somebody. So if, if somebody has had, you know, the SEC's censured them uh, for you know unregistered securities, trying to sell unregistered securities, or something like that, that is a huge red flag. Correct, Kathy. It
2: absolutely is, and the searches that you can do for that type of a thing are free and they're easy. In fact, I have an index in in the Ponzi-proof book proof Your Investments, which goes state by state and lists a number of websites that for free, you can just go on, depending on what state you're in, and you could look at all the states if you wanted to, and you can go to FINRA, you can go to the SEC, you can go to the state securities department, you can do a search, you can put in the broker's name, you can put in the perpetrator's name, you can see whether they're licensed, you can see whether they're registered, and you can see whether or not there are any disciplinary actions. So that that's you know close to the top of my list of things to do that are cheap are cheap. And
1: easy and free and and, and does not take that much time. Yes, and it is important, as you pointed out, to note that there's not just—I mean, the Fe, the feds, quote unquote, the Securities and Exchange Commission, but there's also you know various other you know this is the FTC and the uh, uh, CFTC, CFTC, etc. But. There's also the states. Each state has their own uh, regula- securities regulatory body uh, that will also uh, monitor, regular- regulate, and censure uh, individuals and groups if they run afoul of those local regulations. So it's important, as you point out, not just to check, you know, the federal uh, agencies, but also the states. Are and again, as you point out. Are they registered locally? Are, you know, check Finra. That's the uh, uh, the financial uh, industry uh, uh, regulatory authority, and um, uh, those are all free and easy to do.
2: Right, and along those lines, just seeing what other publicly available information there is about a company. Now, Google, of course, is your friend, although Google is not your friend in this regard. You know, you want to look and see whether there's any negative news about a company, and there are there are websites that just aggregate negative news in particular. Um, you want to see whether there's positive news. You want to look at the website of the company itself and see if it makes any sense, uh, What whatever the business model is and why they... they it is that they need investor dollars. But you want to be wary of publicly available information because anybody can issue their own press release and say, look how wonderful I am. Look at this special license that I have that only I have, and that's why I can make all of this money. And so you want to spend spend some time looking at what's out there on the Internet but looking at it critically uh, to, yeah. to make sure that it makes sense. And, you know, maybe my number one piece of advice for people is, if it's something that you can't understand after a five-minute explanation, then don't invest in it. You know, Bernie Madoff was a perfect example. He was doing this split-strike conversion strategy. Well, if I were investing, I would say, you know, I know nothing about that stuff, so I'm just going to trust that he knows what he's talking about. But if anyone had ever actually asked him and tried to understand what his strategy was, it didn't make any sense. We know that the whistleblower, Harry Markopoulos, dedicated you know, a few years of his life to trying to understand it and trying to, to duplicate the strategy, and he couldn't, and he knew what he was doing. So if you can't understand it, don't invest in it, because you should be able to understand everything. And if, you, you know, if you're not intelligent enough to do it or know that you just don't have that skill set, find somebody who is, that can try to spend five or ten minutes and understand it.
1: That is very, very good advice. One other thing I think that you had, you know, one other uh, point that you make is uh, secrecy. You know, that a lot of these folks try to create this, uh, you know, this uh, sort of, oh, the system I have is it's just, you know, A, it's too complicated to explain, and B, it's, you know, it's really a, you know, it's, I, there's a shroud of, you know, mystery around it. Um, talk about why that's a red flag.
2: Well, if it's a legitimate business, they should be explaining to you the basis of a legitimate business. And delay tactics, stall tactics, secrecy, exclusivity, those are all really red flags. You know, if you're asking for the documentation and they're telling you that the copy machine is down week after week, that's a red flag. They don't want to give you that information. Bernie Madoff himself, you know, to barons said, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's too complicated for you to understand. I don't, you know, I don't need to explain it. Or I really can't tell you that because if I tell you that, then it's going to tip off my competitors to the strategy. When you start hearing things like that and they're unwilling to explain the basis, that's definitely a red flag. You know, another is, oh, well, we have this exclusive A license or exclusive permission, or I know this particular person. Those are all types of things that you can actually run down. If someone has a license, you should be able to go to the licensing agency and and verify whether or not that's a true statement.
1: Right, right, absolutely, uh, and that goes back to the the original uh, uh, and most important point, which is, you know, do your own due diligence for crying out loud. Uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, these are things that are that uh, you know that most people you know instinctively uh, know and and uh, and understand, but all too often when you Add in that trust factor, that, you know, that confidence, that, uh, or maybe it's the affinity group, uh, that you have people who end up uh, willing to part with their money uh, in a scheme that uh, really doesn't make sense.
2: Right, right. You have to ask a lot of questions. And not only ask those questions, but insist on the answers. And if you're not getting the answers, that should be cause for concern
1: right the, the the delay tactics the uh the stall tactics uh which uh, we've seen many many times uh are always a, a red flag um we are going to have to call it a day, and I want to thank you very much, Kathy, for for all of your time with us and sharing your your uh, wealth of uh, of uh, experience and expertise in this whole area of investment uh, uh, fraud and Ponzi schemes. Um, you know, go get Kathy's book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can also get it at the correct,
2: Kathy? Uh the is the legal resource and Ponziproof dot com
1: is the investor's guide. Right, and hire Kathy at Diamond, uh, at uh, the Diamond McCarthy Law Firm. That's diamondmccarthy.com, right? Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Kathy, for, for joining us today. A very enlightening uh, discussion, and uh, we really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Join us next week again, Mondays at 10 a.m. We'll look forward to speaking with you all. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon.